Independent Audit Committee was established by charter and receives audit reports and other information from the Denver Audit Office. The committee strives to bring greater clarity, transparency, and accountability to Denver's city government and its residents. It is also responsible for commissioning an annual audit of the city's annual comprehensive financial report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. to call the meeting the Independent Audit Committee to order for June 16th, 2022. Um, Edie, would you be kind enough to call the roll? Jack Blumenthal? Here. Lorene Mass? Here. Charles Scheib? Here. Um, Timothy O'Brien? Here. Rudy Payan is out. Excused. Leslie Mitchell? Is also excused. Oh, it's still yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. It's lonely at this end of the table. The <laughs> <laughs> um, next item is approval of the May 19th minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. Uh, the next item is a report briefing on mental health services in the Denver jail system. Um, Karis, do you want to introduce the audit team? You know Dawn is not here. Yes. And um, after that, I'm going to ask the sheriff if he would like to introduce himself and his team. So. Of course. Yeah, good morning, auditor and committee members. My name is Kara Epstein. I was the manager for the mental health services and Denver's jail system audit that we're presenting this morning. I'm joined at the table by Isabel Pupa, lead auditor, June Samadi, senior auditor, Kristen Mitchell, audit intern, and then Anna Hansen and Caitlin Casasa, lead and associate auditors, also worked on the project and are seated in the gallery. Sheriff Diggins, would you like to introduce yourself and your staff? And if you have any opening remarks, um, this would be the time to do it. Thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elias Diggins. I am the sheriff of the city and county of Denver. I am proud to introduce our team that is present today to include Deputy Director of Safety, Laura Wachter, Chief Sonia Gillespie, Dr. Nikki Johnson, who is our Chief of Mental Health Services, Chief Vince Lyne, our Director of Communications, Daria Serna, Major Scott Happ, Major Lansford Alexander, our Director of Programs, Melanie Pickin, the Civilian Review Administrator, Mr. Carl McEncrow, Major Jacob Ruiz, Major Kelly Bruning, our Director of Community Engagement, Vinnie Milner, Major Derek Wynn, and our Health Services Administrator, Carmen Casadley. And Mr. O'Brien, thank you for the opportunity to talk about what we are doing in mental health services throughout the Denver Sheriff's Department. Uh, the interest in our important work and review of mental health services that we provide is an opportunity to demonstrate the good things that are happening in the Denver Sheriff's Department. This year, 
as the department celebrates our 120th anniversary. As an organization, we continue to believe that it is a privilege to serve the citizens of the city and county of Denver. It is worth noting that in the entire history of the Denver Sheriff's Department, there has never been a cabinet level position dedicated to leading, guiding, and ensuring our mental health service work meets or exceeds national best practices. In January of 2021, Dr. Nikki Johnson was hired as the first ever Chief of Mental Health Services for the Denver Sheriff's Department to oversee the work for which this audit has reviewed. Many of the goals given to her when she took this role aligned with the challenges identified in this report, and we are confident through the work of the dedicated professionals who make up our mental health service team as well as the rest of the Denver Sheriff's Department, we will be successful. We're now ready to review the findings of your audit. Thank you. Okay, before we start, I wanted to mention to the audit committee and the viewing public that Sheriff Diggins has a memorial service to attend, and if he has to excuse himself early before we finish the briefing, I, I think you'll all understand. So with that, uh, Karis, why don't we begin? Yes, and first I'd like to extend my thanks to all of you and your staff for all the time that you took with us. Um, it was really a pleasure to work with all of you, um, and especially to get to come on site and uh, meet you and see the work that you do firsthand. So, All right, so beginning on page one of the report, the Denver Sheriff Department provides mental health services, both internally and through contractors, to individuals housed in its jail system. All individuals receive an assessment when entering jail to help identify issues, such as drug and alcohol addiction, and to assess their medical and mental health needs. The Department of Public Safety oversees the Denver Sheriff Department and is discussed on page two of our report. It is the largest sheriff department in Colorado and is responsible for the care and transport of individuals in custody for the city and county of Denver. The sheriff is appointed by the mayor and oversees the sheriff department's administration, including the mental health and programs division. The Denver Sheriff Department provides services in four main areas and is discussed on pages three and four of our report. Administration, which includes tasks such as providing leadership, managing community engagement and communications, and overseeing inmate programs and the Denver Health Contract. Jail operations, which includes running and maintaining the jail supported activities such as intake and release, records management, food services, and managing housing classifications to ensure all individuals in custody are given safe and adequate housing arrangements, specialized operations and analysis, which includes managing training requirements for new recruits and existing staff that align with accreditation standards and overseeing the department's technical systems and data development, and finally, support services, which includes tasks such as responding to grievances or complaints from individuals in custody and evaluating incidents involving department staff. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic discussed on page five of our report, the department had to significantly modify its operations to, and decrease the pro programming offered to ensure staff and people in custody were as safe as possible. After three to five months of interrupted mental health services in late 2020 and 2021, the department developed a method for remote teaching and connected with outside providers for remote classes. As shown on ta uh, in table one on page seven of the report between 2019 and 2022, the Sheriff Department's budget has increased about 8% from approximately 146 million to $158 million. 
Jail operations saw the most substantive increase in budget from 89 million to 96 million, also about 8%. As discussed on page eight in 2011, the Colorado legislature created the Jail-Based Behavioral Health Services Program to provide jails with adequate staff to perform behavioral health screenings, prescribe psychiatric medications, and provide mental health counseling, substance use disorder treatment, and care coordination to individuals leaving the jail and returning to the community. Between July 2019 and June 2021, the Denver Sheriff Department received about $623,000 in correctional treatment cash funds to use towards the jail-based behavioral health services programs. Sorry, the objective of our audit was to determine the extent to which the Denver Sheriff Department's mental health services and programs were effective in providing support for people in jail as well as the people working in the Denver jail system. And as discussed on the highlights page of our report. For the scope of our audit, we reviewed the extent to which Denver Sheriff Department had defined and was measuring success for its mental health programs. We looked at how the department's operations, such as contract monitoring and staff training, contribute to program effectiveness. We also looked to see whether the department was providing mental health programs and services equitably. And finally, we evaluated the extent to which the department is effectively planning for individuals in custody to return to the community. The audit included a review of documentation and data from July 2019 through June 2021. And at this point, I'd like to open the floor for any questions or comments on the background section. Any questions? Okay, let's continue. Okay. Our first finding is that the Denver Sheriff Department does not have a strategy for its mental health programs, and it begins on page 10 of our report. The Denver Sheriff Department has nine mental health programs, and these programs provide services related to substance use treatment, competency restoration, therapy and case management, and community reentry, and is discussed in detail on table three on pages 10 through 12. We reviewed all nine mental health programs and found the Denver Sheriff Department did, did not always adequately consider key elements when determining how each program should work and is discussed on page 13. For example, the mental health programs are decentralized and lacked oversight to ensure that programs and transition planning were consistent. The department had not clearly defined success for all of its mental health programs. The department did not have a formal process for assessing program needs. The department had not formally evaluated staffing and resources required for ensuring programs are effective at achieving their goals and objectives. The department did not offer all mental health programs to both men and women. And finally, the department lacked program-specific policies and procedures. Further, the department did not have an estimated cost of its mental health programs beyond the city's operating agreement with Denver Health and Hospital Authority, as well as individual contracts. The operating agreement's total contracted amount includes other services such as medical care, aside from just mental health. Through our review of the city's annual budgets, contracts provided by the department, and the Denver Health Operating Agreement, we estimated the cost of mental health services and programs between July 2019 and June 2022 to be as high as $66.4 million. As discussed on page 20, the Denver Sheriff Department may not be able to speak to the effectiveness and quality of its mental health programs without a strategy and achievable objectives, clear definitions of success for all programs, and a formal needs assessment and workforce analysis to identify the resources that are required to meet program goals. In addition, the Denver Sheriff Department is not aligning its programs, all its programs with the mayor's priority on equity because it doesn't offer all programs to both men and women. As a result, 
people in Denver's jail system may not be getting the mental health care they need to successfully return to the community. We have five recommendations for finding one. I'll read all five before pausing to allow for questions and comments from the committee and the agency. Recommendation 1.1 on page 21 of the report states the Denver Sheriff Department should use leading practices such as standards for internal controls and designing evaluations guidance from US Government Accountability Office to develop an overarching strategy for its mental health programs. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16, 2022. Recommendation 1.2 on page 21 states the Denver Sheriff Department should use leading practices such as designing evaluations guidance from the U.S. Government Accountability Office or program design a literature of best practices to identify and document measures of success for each of its mental health programs. Success should be specific and measurable. In instances where a contractor or other service provider is providing the mental health services through a contract, the department should work with the contractor to make amendments to include specific and measurable definitions of program success. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 1.3 on page 21 states the Denver Sheriff Department should formalize, document the process for, and identify the needs of all of its mental health programs. The assessments should include identifying resources, such as funding and staff, required to meet program objectives. As part of the assessment, the department should consider equitable access to all of its mental health programs to align with the mayor's priority. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16, 2022. Recommendation 1.4 on page 22 states the Denver Sheriff Department should conduct a formal workforce analysis based on the results of the needs assessment to identify gaps in its workforce to help the department achieve program objectives and success. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. And finally, recommendation 1.5 on page 22 states the Denver Sheriff Department should develop, document, and implement policies and procedures for each of its mental health programs. For the department to meet its objectives and measure its success, policies and procedures should include, at a minimum, criteria for program entry, clear definitions of program success, data monitoring, and details of the roles and responsibilities for the various program tasks. The agency also agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. And I will open the floor at this time for any questions and comments. Uh, Sheriff Diggins, would you like to add anything? To I would. <coughs> I would. Thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Um, in the budget narrative, it showed that we had an increase from 2021 to 2022 of 148 million to 157 million. The majority of that growth was in our mental health services area because as I became the sheriff and as we as a safety department began to look at what we needed to do to prepare uh, the good work that Dr. Johnson was gonna do when she came on board, we looked at where that growth needed to happen and we knew we had to bring personnel on board in order to assist her in 2022, she has stood up the crisis response team, which is a team of mental health professionals that work side by side with deputies every single day to respond to mental health crises, crises um, before they can occur. So when someone begins to decompensate or if they're having a bad day with mental health inside of our facility, before a deputy uses force, the mental health crisis response team will step in and deescalate the situation and we believe that that is important to highlight uh, for the Denver Sheriff's Department. Additionally, as we talk about the strategy, 
uh, and recommendation 1.1, uh, we have an overall strategic plan for the Denver Sheriff's Department. So for the entire agency, one of the things that we have recently done is look at where are we going as an agency over the next couple of years. So we've had a number of meetings to include internal stakeholders. All six of our employee groups have been involved, and we've had external stakeholders at the table as well. But that strategic plan is going to see oversee everything inside of the Denver Sheriff's Department to include mental health services. The team that Dr. Johnson is leading is developing strategies related to our mental health services to include goals, objectives, strategies, and measures. And I think Karis and her team have recognized that and we appreciate that. Last thing I wanna point out is the Denver Sheriff's Department is the largest mental health provider in the city and county of Denver, period. We're second in the state to the Colorado Department of Corrections, which is the largest mental health provider in the entire state. When Dr. Johnson came on board, she and I had a private conversation and one of the things she said was, this is a big job and I smiled and said, yes it is. <laughs> so along with her team and the good folks that we work side by side with at Denver Health every single day to manage mental health, I believe we're on the right track. We agree with all of the recommendations because the recommendations align with what Dr. Johnson has discovered as she has come on board and the work that she and her team are working on. Thank you. Um, any questions from the committee? Uh, I have one question. Florine, did you have a question? No? Okay. <laughs> uh, I had one question and I appreciate, you know, the spirit of your response and what you've just said. Are the dates reasonable for you to get this done? I mean, it's a lot to get done between now and say October 14th. Uh, we believe it is, Mr. O'Brien, and I'll ask Dr. Johnson to respond as well because she's closer to the work than I am. But she hit the ground running. She and her team are doing great, great work. We have a great support system with all of the majors and the chiefs and the professional staff that are on board. We actually just moved inmate programs under Do Dr. Johnson's division as well because their work overlaps so much and so with the great team that we have on board along with our Denver Health Partners we believe that it is but certainly would uh, ask Dr. Johnson who set those dates uh, what she thinks. Yeah I agree with the sheriff um, I think we I mean we could look at moving like the program needs assessment or workforce analysis back a little bit some of that depends on other uh, parties such as our performance management and strategy team to assist in those uh, endeavors. But like the sheriff said, I think we're already moving towards a lot of these goals and we've been working on them over the last, uh, over the last year. And so I think we're in a good position to, to implement what you've asked us to do. Okay, thank you. Should we continue? Sure, I'm gonna turn it over to Isabel now to present finding two. All right. Thank you, Karis. Finding two begins on page 23 of the report. It says the Denver Sheriff Department's data processes should be improved. Our first sub finding for finding two also begins on page 23 of the report and says the department needs to improve how it tracks data to evaluate its mental health programs and services. While the Sheriff Department has participant data for all programs, the types of information collected varied making it difficult for us to compare across the programs. For example, some programs collected demographic data on race, but not on ethnicity. 
Other programs had either data fields for both race and ethnicity or combined the two into one field instead of two or did not collect this data for all of the participants. We also found that the department had labeled the data fields differently across programs. For example, one program used the term Hispanic while the other program used Latinx as discussed on page 24 of the report. In addition to the varying types of data collected, we found that some data sets were incomplete or had unknown data. Also, several of the program data sets were entered manually. Beyond, excuse me, beyond informal data checks, the department lacks formal quality assurance processes to ensure that the data is reliable and accurate. The department did also was not able to confirm the accuracy of data from Denver Health and did not have policies and procedures for how to enter data into all of its electronic systems. We have four recommendations for this subfinding. I will read all four recommendations before pausing to allow for questions and comments from the agency and audit committee members. Recommendation 2.1 on page 26 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should identify the data and information necessary for it to monitor its progress towards meeting its mental health program objectives, both individually and holistically. The data should be consistent across all programs to allow for monitoring across these programs. For example, as we discussed, the demographic data such as race and gender. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16th, 2022. Recommendation 2.2 on page 26 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should document policies and procedures for data entry related to its mental health programs. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14th, 2022. Recommendation 2.3 on page 26 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should create and document quality assurance processes for program data entry to ensure that the data is reliable and accurate so that it can make informed decisions. The agency also agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16th, 2022. And finally, recommendation 2.4 on page 27 states the Denver Sheriff Department should periodically monitor the data and information it collects on mental health programs to ensure performance measures and program objectives are being met that the programs are offered equitably and to make decisions related to any programmatic changes. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16th, 2022. I now would like to pause and open the floor for any questions or comments. Sheriff, any additional comments? Yes, thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Uh, the team did find some things that we need to improve upon and we agree with all of those recommendations. I'm gonna ask Chief Gillespie to talk about the new data team uh, members that we have that have just come on board. As a data-driven organization, we rely upon data in making those uh, operational and administrative decisions. As an agency, we have grown our data team over the past couple of years and have gotten some great folks on board. I'll tell you one of the things that was highlighted was the uh, discrepancy between Hispanic and Latinx. We've already fixed that. We, in fact, talked about that yesterday at the Crime Prevention and Control Commission and the way that we're collecting data. And so we've taken these recommendations seriously, have already moved on many of them, and are proud of the work that's going on from a, 
a data standpoint in the, de the Denver Sheriff's Department. So Chief Gillespie, I'd ask you okay. to talk about the team. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you very much for having us today. Uh, this is a collaborative approach that we have with our performance management and strategy unit. We have a very robust data team uh, that is gathering information and ensuring that we have consistent, that we're gathering consistent information for all of our programs uh, so that we have necessary oversight um, on those programs and making sure that it is fair and equitable across the board. Any questions from the committee? Gloria. Uh, to what extent um, does, do you have information um, regarding um, re-entry into, um, or, or the tracking what the mental health um, services provided to, some, to a, a, a former offender um, as they re-enter the community? Is, I would think that that would be a, a difficult, I mean, you've done, you do, do great work with them while they're within the system and then they re-enter and then does, Den, do you work with Denver Health on that or how, how do you provide services we after do. the fact? Yes, ma'am, great question. We actually work with Denver Health as well as the Second Chance Center, which is the re-entry provider uh, through the Crime Prevention and Control Commission for the city and county of Denver as well as other providers to do what we call a warm handoff. So they begin their work while folks are in our custody. The Second Chance Center works with Melanie Pitkin's team every single day to conduct some of those classes, to meet folks before they're released. And when they leave, they know that those resources are available to them. They will continue not just with educational um, services for them, but also helping with housing, help them with getting IDs, help them uh, with getting jobs. So for us, it's about making sure that we're preparing folks before they leave, but when they leave, they do have an opportunity to connect with those other providers, to include Denver Health Second Chance Center, Servicios de la Raza, and other service providers in the city and county of Denver. So I get the sense that you've enhanced that over the last couple of years. Um, is, do you have statistics on, on recidivism? We do, and we'll be more than happy to provide those to the committee. Uh, we didn't include them in this report, but we do have uh, those statistics. One of the things that we say uh, in the past two years, there is an asterisk because of the pandemic. We had to slow down on providing in-person services for the folks that are in our custody because we had to close the jail off uh, to ensure that we were controlling the virus. But we do have data available of related to recidivism as well. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Other questions? Should we continue? Absolutely. <clears throat> Our second sub-finding for finding two begins on page 27 of the report. This finding says that the department is not reliably tracking and evaluating requests and complaints. The Denver Sheriff Department allows people in jail to ask for help or information, to request medical, mental, and dental health services, and to share complaints during their time in custody. These requests and complaints are tracked on Excel spreadsheets. The department's grievance and incident review team manually enters the information from these forms into its compliance tracking log, digitally scans them, and then forwards the relevant copies to the Denver Health team. Both the department and Denver Health said that they use this data to identify trends and issues. 
we conducted a data reliability test for mental health requests, mental health complaints, and general complaints as discussed on page 29 of the report. The Sheriff Department did not track data related to the general requests. We looked for completeness and accuracy when comparing the spreadsheets to the original forms, and we found that many of the data fields were unreliable. For example, we found problems with the dates in the mental health and general complaint spreadsheets. Some of the dates did not exist in the calendar year, while other dates indicated that the department responded to a complaint before it was received. We also found there were values missing in the general complaint spreadsheet, such as name of staff, who had been named in the complaint. The Denver Sheriff Department and Denver Health Team do not have formal policies and procedures for data entry, and staff had workflows and instructions to follow as discussed on page 30 of the report. According to the workflow for general complaints, the department reviews the data for accuracy each month, but the workflow did not specify how this review process occurred, how it is documented, and the staff members said that they do not review the content of general complaints for accuracy. Continuing on page 31 of the report, Denver Health's, excuse me, Denver Health's complaints policy is similar in that a review occurs, but it did not specify the details of this process. Denver Health staff said that they and the department evaluate the data in aggregate and look for data outliers, but they do not conduct a line-by-line -line review of all of the data. If the department uses incomplete or inaccurate data to identify trends, both the department and Denver Health team cannot accurately identify problems such as personal issues or mental health concerns. We have five recommendations for this sub-finding. I will read all five recommendations before pausing to allow for questions and comments. First, recommendation 2.5 on page 31 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should work with Denver Health to develop a way to track the information related to general and mental health requests and complaints. The data should be populated consistently and completely to allow the department to track and monitor the data to identify trends. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 2.6 on page 32 states the Denver Sheriff Department should use the mechanism established in this prior recommendation 2.5 to track general requests. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 2.7 on page 32 states the Denver Sheriff Department should work with Denver Health to review and update their existing policies and procedures for tracking and analyzing data related to general and mental health requests and complaints based on the mechanism established in recommendation 2.5. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 2.8 on page 32 states the Denver Sheriff Department should work with Denver Health to create and document quality assurance processes for data entry to ensure that the data is reliable and accurate to allow management to make informed program decisions. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. And finally, recommendation 2.9 on page 32 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should periodically monitor its and Denver Health's data for general and mental health requests and complaints to identify trends. 
to address personnel issues in a timely manner and make adjustments to the process if needed. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. I now will pause and open the floor for any questions or comments. Sheriff, any comments? Thank you, Mr. O'Brien. We agree that our review process for grievances and complaints can be tighter. I'd like to highlight the fact that in 2020, the Denver Sheriff's Department booked 15,000 people through our system. In 2021, we booked 20,000 people through our system. And in 2022, we expect that number to grow. We are currently on a paper system for those grievances. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all of the work that we're doing, uh, we agree that we need to tighten up the processes to ensure that we're reviewing those grievances and complaints to ensure that there aren't any gaps. Dr. Johnson is going to be working with Denver Health to ensure that what we're doing is as tight as possible. I'll ask Dr. Johnson to talk more about the specifics of that. Um, those aren't excuses for us. We know that every single complaint that someone submits is important. We know that every grievance that someone submits is important and we wanna ensure that we're addressing every single complaint. One of the other things that we're looking forward to is an electronic medical record system. Currently, all of the charts that Denver Health has for the people that are in custody are on paper as well. And so as we begin to transition both the grievance and complaint system, as well as those electronic medical records to an electronic system, we believe that will help us to ensure more integrity, a better review process, and ensure that nothing is lost uh, in, in getting those to the right folks. Dr. Johnson would uh, ask you to add anything else. I would just add that we, like the sheriff said, we are working collaboratively right now with Denver Health and to really focus on our continuous quality improvement committee um, that is already in place per NCCHC standards and really see what we need to do to improve these processes. Um, we currently do quarterly meetings with that group and plan to add in any additional chart reviews to ensure that we're not missing anyone. And also, like the sheriff said, our goal for 2023 is to have an electronic health record, which I do think will definitely help streamline and make sure that we can uh, tighten up those data points. And the, Dr. Johnson spoke about the NCCHC. That stands for the National Commission on Correctional Healthcare, which is the national auditing body for jails and prisons across America specific to the healthcare that we provide inside of our facilities. And we are and remain accredited by that body. Thank you. Questions from the committee? Okay. Should we continue? Our third and final sub-finding for finding two begins on page 33 of the report. As the sheriff just mentioned, the department currently uses paper medical charts and has manual de data entry, which may complicate mental health services and continuity of care. While the Denver Sheriff Department's Denver Health Team uses several electronic information systems to help with their care, appointment scheduling, medication orders, and statistics, they primarily use paper medical charts for patient care. From our analysis of patient appointments and the paper medical charts, 
we found that some of the information in the paper charts, such as paper uh, patient identification numbers, provider names, and dates were either missing or illegible. We also found some errors in the electronic appointment scheduling system data. Continuing on to page 34 of the report, we found that some of the department's electronic systems involved manual data entry and had lacked sufficient data safeguards. When we conducted a reliability test on the mental health care related appointments in the scheduling system, we found some errors. For example, if a healthcare provider did not see a patient, they must provide a reason why. The system has a drop-down list for providers to choose from to indicate why they did not see that patient. However, the data we received showed types and reasons listed that were different from that drop-down list, which suggested that providers may be able to type into this field and override the drop-down options. When people move to a different correctional facility or they leave jail, their paper health records must transfer as well, which is discussed on page 36 of the report. Additionally, if they want to request a copy of their medical records from the Denver Sheriff Department, they must pay a $7 fee. Denver Health says that this fee helps to prevent them from being inundated with many record requests. However, the department's policy is that individuals will receive their medical records regardless of the ability to pay. It is recommended that correctional facilities provide patients leaving custody with portable electronic health records for free up to seven days after their release to allow for better continuity of care. People with mental health conditions who were previously in custody have been shown to have a higher risk of negative mental health outcomes without this continuity of care. We have three recommendations for this subfinding. I will read all three recommendations for pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 210 on page 37 states that the Sheriff Department and Denver Health's Continuous Quality Improvement Committee should assess their internal controls within their electronic information systems to ensure that healthcare providers and their patients' data is accurate and reliable. Where system controls cannot be implemented, the department should develop and document policies and procedures for reviewing their providers' and patients' data to ensure this accuracy and reliability. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 2.11 on page 37 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should continue working with City Council and Denver Health to implement that electronic medical chart system to better allow for this continuity of care for people while they are in uh, Denver's jail system and then again after they are released. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 13, 2023. And finally, recommendation 2.12 on page 38 states that the Denver Sheriff Department should assess whether it should wa waive that fee for individuals leaving jail and after an individual has already been released so that they do have access to their medical and mental health records to provide for better continuity of care after their release from Denver's jail system. The department should document their decision-making process for choosing whether or not to charge a fee for medical records. Additionally, the department should communicate its fee policy with Denver Health staff to ensure consistent understanding and application of this policy. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16, 2022. 
I now will pause and like to open the floor for any questions or comments. Sure. I think I got ahead of myself. I apologize, <laughs> Isabel. We agree with this recommendation. We have the support of the Department of Safety um, in helping us to move towards an electronic medical record system and are currently in discussions with Denver Health on how to implement that. I'll ask Dr. Johnson to talk, to talk about the assessment <coughs> of fees related to records as well. So our records uh, fall under both the CCJRA, CGIS, and HIPAA. And so the civil liability unit is really in charge of that process. Uh, we have de not denied anyone records um, and if they are unable to pay, understanding that they do need that for continuity of care. And uh, we'll be adding that directly into policy that has been our practice. Jack? Well, I got comments from Jack. Um, I've got to say, partly in response to the question that Otto O'Brien made about implementing so many things so quickly, I find it to be a breath of fresh air. Uh, part of the problem is sometimes sitting on the audit committee, I sometimes wonder why it takes people that, so long to do what they do, and I'd like to commend you for this. Um, the one question I do have, though, is the medical records time frame. Um, I've done work in that area, and uh, when you're working with another agency, and when you talk about all the numbers of people you have who are coming in and going through the system, um, How, how comfortable are you with the January 2023 date in terms of being able to deal with Denver Health, et cetera, with all of their priorities and, and be able to do that? Or are you Houdini? <laughs> no, I'm not Houdini, sir. I, that would be nice. Here's what I'll say. <coughs> we have a great working relationship with the contingent of Denver Health that is assigned to do health care for the folks that are in our custody. It's the reason that Carmen Casadley is here today uh, in support of us because she understands how important the audit committee's findings are and the work that we have to do together is. With Laura Wachter working with the Department of Safety and the folks at Denver Health, I'm cautiously optimistic that we will be able to come to a reasonable agreement about what we're going to do with electronic health records. Uh, this model exists in other jails across the nation. And we have good folks inside of our agency that have a history of transitioning from paper records to uh, electronic medical records to include Chief Line, who has done this in other agencies and is a, a auditor for the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. So with all the folks that we have inside of our agency, along with the support of safety, I'm confident that we will be able to move towards that date. And we will report back to the auditor's office if we're not able to, to make that date. Thank you. Sheriff, mm -hmm. is the funding there to, to implement this kind of electronic system? 
That's what Laura Wachter is responsible for in the Department of Safety as the head of finance for all of the Department of Safety. I would ask Laura to help with that response. Thank you, Auditor O'Brien. Uh, good morning, members of committee. I'm Laura Wachter, Deputy Director of Safety. And so we are currently working with the budget office as well as going through our city's budgeting process to identify the funding for the electronic health records. Uh, the city, the mayor has all determined just the priority of the electronic health records. So I'm confident that we can achieve that funding. Oh, that's, that's great news, thank you. I'd also like to recognize, and I didn't see her because she was hiding behind Laura Wachter, Shanae Cummings, who's one of our uh, senior leaders in safety finance as well. Good morning. All right, other questions? Let's continue. I don't, I don't know if uh, you know yet, but we're under lockdown here. I know that they know. <laughs> so I feel like if we're in the right place, we are. Because we're <laughs> you are in probably the safest room in the city and county of building. <laughs> so, I didn't want to mention that, yeah. uh, Mr. O'Brien, but obviously members of our staff, including Chief Line and some of the majors have responded. We are on a lockdown because there's an armed individual at the Lindsay Flanagan Courthouse which is one of the areas of our responsibility. So we're working with our law enforcement partners to assess the situation and to make sure that everyone is safe, safe. but I can guarantee you that you all are safe in this room. <laughs> thank I you. figured we were good to continue, but I just wanted to make sure you knew, so. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay, and I promise you're done from hearing me talk. I will now turn it over to June to present our next finding. Thank you, Isabel. Finding three, the Denver Sheriff's Department is not sufficiently monitoring mental health contracts and invoices, begins on page 39 of the report. As discussed on page 39, the department has 20 active contracts and grants related to mental health programs and services. While the department is generally ensuring compliance with contract terms, it is not adequately monitoring the performance of the contractors providing mental health services. A lack of oversight hinders the department's ability to ensure deliverables are met, that contractors are providing quality mental health services, and that taxpayer dollars are being used effectively. Additionally, as stated on page 40 of the report, the department does not have any contract monitoring policies and procedures. The city requires departments to establish procedures for monitoring contracts, as well as identify a specific person tasked with contract monitoring responsibilities. Without policies and procedures related to contract monitoring or a designated party responsible for monitoring contractors' performance, the department is unable to ensure contract terms are met or uh, determine the quality of mental health services provided. We also found the department does not have one central person responsible for overseeing the invoicing process to ensure the consistency and accuracy of payments, as discussed on page 41 of the report. We random sampled invoices and found instances where the department could not provide supporting documentation. In addition, we found instances where the department was billing at a rate different than the rate in the contract, as discussed on page 42 of the report. Some of these rates were more than the contracted amount. Without supporting documentation, we could not verify the department was paying for services provided or that they were allowed by the contract. We have six recommendations for finding three. I will read all six recommendations before pausing for questions and comments from the agency and audit committee members. 
Recommendation one, uh, sorry, 3.1 on page 43 states the Denver Sheriff's Department should identify an individual or individuals primarily responsible for monitoring contract compliance and the performance of contracts and subrecipients for all mental health services contracts and subcontracts. The agency agreed with this recommendation and reported it had been implemented on June 7, 2022. Recommendation 3.2 on page 43 states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should establish and document policies and procedures for ensuring contract compliance, as well as monitoring contractors' performance. The agency agreed with this recommendation with the implementation date of August 31st, 2022. Recommendation 3.3 on page 43 states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should identify an individual or individuals primarily responsible for reviewing and approving invoices, as well as reviewing associated supporting documentation related to its mental health programs to ensure all expenses are allowable and aligned with contract requirements. The agency agreed with this recommendation and reported it had been implemented on June 7, 2022. Recommendation 3.4 on page 44 states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should establish and document policies and procedures for requesting, reviewing, and maintaining supporting documentation for invoice payments to ensure invoices are paid according to the contract. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of August 31st, 2022. Recommendation 3.5 on page 44 states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should follow the city and county of Denver's general record retention policy for invoice supporting documentation. The agency agreed with this recommendation with the implementation date of August 31st, 2022. And finally, recommendation 3.6 on page 44 states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should ensure salaries of employees paid through a contract are allowable according to the contractor's budget, either by enforcing the contracted amount, amending the contract to adjust for the increase to the budgeted salaries, or identifying another source of funds to account for the difference. The agency agreed with this recommendation and reported it had been implemented on June 7, 2022. I would now like to open the floor for any questions or comments from the agency and audit committee members. Sheriff, it's nice to see recommendations implemented before we have this briefing, so thank you. We agree, Mr. O'Brien. Uh, first, let me let you all know that the lockout has been lifted, the individual is in custody, and uh, things will be progressing from there, so the lockout um, is no longer in place. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I'll ask Deputy Director of Safety, Laura Walker, to respond to these items as most of them fall in her area. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you, Honor O'Brien. Uh, we really appreciate the partnership with your team to identify these uh, areas of opportunity. And we've already taken them, as you can see, that they've already been, some of them have already been implemented. So we take these uh, recommendations very seriously. Um, I think one of the things that COVID and just the, the turnover of personnel has made us realize during, uh, during this is just the, uh, having documented policies and procedures for that continuity of service. And so those are um, uh, things that we will be working on and will implement by August 31st. So really appreciate uh, the identifying of, um, of that. We've also grown the contracts team within the Department of Safety from one person to two. So <laughs> we're well on our way to ensuring we have uh, an adequate contracts team to address these issues. 
as well as our uh, accounting team in partnership with the programs unit to identify all of the challenges associated, identified in this report. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, finding four, the Denver Sheriff's Department could not demonstrate all individuals identifying as transgender were assessed and housed according to their preference. It begins on page 45 of the report. The Denver Sheriff's Department has been recognized as a leading agency in its practices for developing and implementing formal policies and procedures for individuals identifying as transgender, as discussed on page 45 of the report. The department has an informal transgender review board that is responsible for assessing and making recommendations related to housing, medical, and mental health needs for people identifying as transgender within 72 hours of their intake date. Until the individual meets with the board, they are placed in restrictive or segregated housing within the medical unit. Leading practices say a person in custody should not be placed in separate housing for more than 24 hours while arrangements for alternative housing options are made. The Transgender Review Board decides where someone will be housed based on several factors, including their preference, mental health status, classification, physical characteristics, and criminal and sexual assault history. Once someone is screened and assessed by the board, all discussion notes, including any requests or preferences made by the person, are documented in their paper medical chart. We found issues with the department's documentation practices. For example, on page 46 of the report, we know that the department could not provide adequate evidence to show all people who identified as transgender met with the Transgender Review Board within the required time frame, nor if they were granted their requested preferential housing accommodations. Continuing on page 47 of the report, we were told the department does not track board discussions in a consistent and centralized manner. While accommodation decisions from the board meetings are documented within each person's paper medical chart, if an accommodation is, cannot be granted, the person is told about alternative choices verbally and documentation may not exist. As discussed on page 48 of the report, without sufficient supporting documentation to ensure people identifying as transgender are screened and assessed by the board according to department policies and procedures, the department cannot provide assurance that risk factors were properly assessed and mitigated to prioritize the safety and security for people in its jail system or that people were housed according to their preference. We have one recommendation for finding four. Recommendation 4.1 on page 48 of the report states, the Denver Sheriff's Department should review and revise policies and procedures related to the Transgender Review Board to include how and where board meeting discussions should be documented, as well as decisions made related to housing. The department should consider, as part of the process, ident uh, to identify a central repository to house decisions related to the Transgender Review Board. The agency agreed with this recommendation with the implementation date of August 15th, 2022. I would now like to open the floor for any questions or comments from the agency and audit committee members. Sheriff. Thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Uh, Dr. Johnson's <coughs> going to talk about the details of the work that's going on with the uh, review board, but I'd like to highlight in the three years of the audit period, we booked in 45,000 people, 154 of them, identified as transgender. The sample that was taken was 50 
of the 154, and 84% of those folks were assessed appropriately, which I think is good, but we want to be better. We want to ensure that we're doing that right for every single person. It's one of the tasks that Dr. Johnson uh, has taken on to ensure that we're doing that right. We're pleased that the report highlighted the fact that the Denver Sheriff's Department is a model for the way that we care for and provide the custody for folks that are in our custody uh, that are transgendered. In fact, the National Institute of Corrections has used the Denver Sheriff's Department's model to train other jails and we get calls from some of those jails across the nation about the processes that we have in place. We wanna make sure that what we're doing um, gets better. And I'll ask Dr. Johnson to talk about what she's doing. So as you can see, we're, we're confident that we can get this completed in a relatively quick time manner because we have already, as of May 27th, updated our policy really to include language that is uh, more relevant, uh, transgender and gender non-conforming persons, persons in custody and focusing on, on those needs. Uh, in addition to that, I've been working directly with Denver Health and we have updated their standard work on that process. Um, we've also worked directly with classification on identifying a shared drive where we can keep all of this information, ensuring that we document when we are meeting with the board, what those housing decisions are and why, understanding that we're always taking into account their preference in housing, but also looking at safety for that person as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions from the committee? Um, you know, the pictures on page 48 show the temporary cells for the individuals that might be held there. I wouldn't want to be there for 24 hours, let alone for 72 hours. I mean, is it a warmer environment than the pictures convey? Um, I think the pictures are primarily of areas where we have our medical unit more than anything. One of the things that we work towards is ensuring that folks are brought out of those cells as much as possible based on American Correctional Association standards. Okay. 72 hours really gives us time to assess folks. Sometimes when they come into our custody, they may be um, in need of having their mental health meds addressed. Sometimes folks are self-medicating on the street. And so when they come into our custody, we have to ensure that that environment is safe, not just for them, but for our staff as well. Uh, we welcome uh, anyone on the audit committee to come and to tour our facility. When we bring folks from other jails across the nation, they're always impressed with the, uh, the conditions of our facilities. Thank you. I don't know if the audit committee would like to take the sheriff up on his offer, but uh, maybe we could work with your office about scheduling a tour. Is that we can do that. All right, thank you. I would now like to hand it over to Kristen, who will present our last finding. Last finding. <laughs> um, finding five begins on page 49 of the report and states the Denver Sheriff Department could not demonstrate compliance with training requirements. The Denver Sheriff Department's data and documentation for tracking employee training hours is decentralized. This is discussed on page 50 of the report. We requested a sample of 60 staff training files and were only provided with 58. One of the missing records could not be found and the other belonged to an employee who had left their position with the department during deputy training. 
While attempting to check compliance, we found data pertaining to training hours is kept in multiple electronic systems as well as in paper form. Paper sign-in sheets with attendee signatures are used to track attendance for trainings. Instructors are relied upon to write on these sheets when a training session ends early. The department's training academy scheduling unit then uses these sheets to manually update hours. Continuing on page 51, when an employee misses a training or trainings end early, there are no penalties or requirements to make up the time. Management said the scheduling unit tries to reschedule an absent employee, but staff are not required to make time up for early releases. As discussed on page 51 still, when comparing course titles with training requirements, we found classes taken during training days could not be directly matched with topics listed in the department's training policy or national accreditation requirements. It was also determined that some requirements are covered by a variety of different classes. For example, classes related to elder abuse are covered within a training on dehumanization and bias. The department could not provide documentation to show which course titles met certain training requirements, which prevented us from checking compliance. Continuing on page 52, in trying to determine how accreditation evaluators use this information to verify training requirements have been met, we learned they typically have institutional knowledge of law enforcement. However, we reviewed the final accreditation reports issued to the Denver Sheriff Department and could not verify that the accrediting agency had completed a compliance check for requ required training hours or that specific course subject requirements were being met. Furthermore, we learned the department is not conducting internal compliance checks for employee training and lacks formalized policies and procedures for tracking training records. Without documented policies and procedures for tracking employee training, Records may go missing or be inaccurate and inconsistent, causing the department to be unable to ensure or demonstrate compliance with accreditation standards and internal policies related to training. If employees are not appropriately trained, especially when it relates to mental health, they may fail to provide adequate services to people in custody or respond appropriately to people with mental health needs. We have five recommendations for finding five. I will read all five recommendations before pausing for questions. Recommendation 5.1 on page 53 of the report states the Denver Sheriff Department should identify division and individual responsible for tracking documentation, including hours and topics, for department staff. Where multiple departments or individuals are involved, the roles and responsibilities for maintaining records should be clearly documented. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 5.2 on page 53 states the Denver Sheriff Department should develop a way to track information related to training, including hours and topics. The data should be populated consistently and completely to allow the department to track and monitor compliance with accreditation standards and internal policy. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. Recommendation 5.3, again on page 53, states the Denver Sheriff Department should document policies and procedures for tracking training information and storing training records. These policies and procedures should include a process for ensuring data quality. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16, 2022. Recommendation 5.4, again on page 53, states the Denver Sheriff Department should regularly monitor compliance with training requirements to ensure all staff meet requirements and are trained appropriately. 
If compliance issues arise, the department should implement consequences for staff who do not meet training requirements. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of September 16th, 2022. Recommendation 5.5 is on page 54 and states the Denver Sheriff Department should follow the city and county of Denver's general records retention policy for personnel training records. The agency agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of August 15, 2022. This concludes our presentation of the mental health services in Denver's jail system audit. And now I'd like to open the floor for any questions or comments from the agency and audit committee. Sheriff, any closing comments? Yes, thank you, Mr. <clears throat> O'Brien. And I'll ask Chief Gillespie to respond as well. You know, during the pandemic, one of the things that has been hard for us is to pull staff for in-service training. Uh, we are short-staffed and having to close our facilities and having folks out who are actually experiencing COVID has been something that was definitely unexpected. One of the things that we know is that we do have to tighten up the policies and procedures as it relates to our training and the records that we keep in the 2023 budget uh, season. We are planning on asking for an electronic training record system as well, which I know Deputy Director of Safety Laura Walker supports. So we agree with all of the recommendations. Thank you all for making them for us. And I'd ask Chief Gillespie uh, for any additional comments. Good morning again. Uh, we agree with, this rec with these recommendations. This is something that we've recognized for a while. It is um, challenging. We have uh, training from different areas and trying to centralize that training has been challenging. But we have recognized that and we are streamlining our, our collection efforts to maintain an accurate, consistent tracking record for all of our training. Uh, we're also working with our risk management and innovation team. They're working with our training to um, identify and implement the best electronic record for the Sheriff Department. Thank you. Committee, any questions? <clears throat> any? I do, any? I do have one. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, full disclosure, um, uh, for almost 25 years, I was part of a team that came out to the Denver County Jail and uh, once a month and provided um, worship services to the inmates. And that ended in 2018 when our chaplain died. But prior to the last couple of years of, of that, um, we noticed a, a, a pretty significant drop-off in um, support from the, um, the uh, I guess, management there. Um, to the extent that we weren't, they weren't allowed to, the chaplain wasn't allowed to put up uh, notices for the services. Um, there wasn't an announcement made. There wasn't, it was not encouragement. Now I know that, you know, we've been uh, in lockdown and whatever, but I was wondering if part of the, um, what services provided to the, to the inmates now post COVID, if anybody has um, looked at encouraging faith-based um, groups um, in helping to provide some of those support for uh, emotional health. Absolutely, ma'am. And you said that happened in 2018? Well, that's when she died. She, we, we were through for the 25 years before 2017 would be pretty much when we were there. Absolutely. Well, I, I hate to use the phrase, there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell back. you, one of the groups that is a part of the leadership council that we have put together 
to ensure that we're uh, keeping those community connections is the Greater Metro Denver Ministerial Alliance. Okay. And so we absolutely, through our programs team led by Melanie Pitkin, invite and welcome faith-based groups, faith-based groups, excuse me, um, to come in and to provide services for folks. Yesterday, I received a call from Pastor Burleson, who's one of the ministers, one of the uh, very well-known ministers in the community about visiting someone who was in custody. I personally made sure that that happened. And so we encourage that. We're gonna to continue to do so and welcome the faith-based community into the work that we do as Thank well. Thank you. Absolutely. Sheriff, thank you, and I want to thank the men and women of the Sheriff Department for what you do every day. Um, I can't, personally, I don't think there's a more important issue than public safety uh, in Denver and the state of Colorado, and that's demonstrated by the brief lockdown that we had here this morning. So again, thank you, and I uh, uh, wish you all the best, and look forward to continuing to work with you. Thank you, Mr. O'Brien, and thank the committee for the great questions. Would like to end by saying that Karis and her team did a, uh, a great job about doing a very thorough audit. And at the end, Karis and I worked very hard about making sure that our response um, was appropriate as well. So just want to thank her and the team for a great work. All right. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Okay, we have another audit report briefing. We might take a minute to let the Sheriff Department leave the room and uh, others take the table. Thank you. All right, if I could call the audit committee back to order. We have another item on our agenda. We have a report briefing on Denver Water Services. If I could ask the Sheriff Department to continue your conversation in the hall.
Denver Water City Services. Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself and the audit team? Sure, audit team is the four of us. I'm Pat, this is Carl Halverson, Brian Barnes, and Katie Scott. All right, and we have from Denver Water, um, I'm not sure who wants to take the lead here. Is it Margaret? I'll take the lead. Um, All right. I'm with Dottie. Uh, good morning. For those of you who I haven't met, my name is Margaret Medellin. I'm a deputy manager with Dottie. I oversee the utilities um, administration. Um, also joining me today, um, we have a, our CFO, Earl Jackson, and also our director of accounting and with Dottie, Peter Spanberger. And I'm going to hand the mic over to Cammie to introduce the team from General Services. Good morning, uh, Cammie Jolie. I'm the Director of Administration with General Services, and uh, I have Tom Octera, our Energy Manager, joining us as well today. Okay, welcome. Uh, Patrick, do you wanna get started? Sure, Carl, background. Sure. Um, good morning, Audit Committee and um, General Services and Dottie. Carl? Yes. You gotta speak into the mic. For sure, thank you. Thank Auditor. you. In 1918, a vote of the people of Denver resulted in the formation of a board of water commissioners creating Denver Water. Denver Water is controlled by the board and the board is appointed by the mayor. Even though the mayor appoints the board, um, Denver Water operates independently from city operations. This means it's not funded by taxes or other resources. Instead, its funding comes from other sources, including water rates, hydropower revenues, and new water connection fees. Denver Water provides water service to residents, businesses, and governments within Denver and throughout the region. Denver, the charter gives Denver Water, through its board, complete control over the water system that supplies the city. It also gives the organization all the powers it needs to operate and maintain the water system it controls. The charter also establishes other requirements that must be fulfilled, including how Denver Water should set water rates and how city government should be charged for water service. This audit focuses on the relationship between the city and Denver Water, specifically through reviewing the services the city receives from Denver Water and the amounts that the city pays for those services. The graphic shown on the screen, which can also be found as figure one on page two of the report, highlights three services the city receives from Denver Water. The first being water service, which is depicted in the top portion of this graphic. Denver Water should bill the city for water consumption at an appropriate rate, and the city receives, reviews, and pays these water bills, and more specifically, we focused our review on the bills received by the General Services Department. Second, Denver Water provides sewer billing services on behalf of the city through a contract, and the city pays a monthly fee for this service. This enables the city, specifically the, the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure's Wastewater Management Division, to utilize Denver's, Denver Water's systems and data to calculate sewer charges. Finally, Denver Water also sets the water rate that's charged to the city. The charter dictates how this rate is calculated. Specifically, the rate charged to the city cannot include certain costs like capital improvements or debt. 
I'll now take some time to talk about sewer billing in more detail. The graphic shown on the screen can also be found on page four of the report. In 2009, the city worked with Denver Water to implement a new billing system. This would better enable Denver Water to continue to provide sewer billing services for the city. The city maintains sewer customer accounts on Denver Water's systems because the city cannot determine sewer service charges without Denver Water's water consumption readings. Monthly fees that the city pays to Denver Water includes the use and access to Denver Water's billing system, data, and other billing activities, such as printing and mailing bills. Water and sewers customers receive a single bill that's generated by Denver Water, and these bills include charges for both water and sewer services. The city plans to move all city-operated um, utilities to one billing system called Zora and has already started this process with composting services moving to the system in 2021. Initially, management stated that this effort began as a project to address the need for a new billing software. And this grew into a larger effort to modernize and consolidate billing for all city utility services, including moving sewer billing activities from Denver Water to the city. Figure five on page five shows the plan timeline for moving city utilities to Zora. Composting services starting in 2021, trash services planned for this year, stormwater in 2023, and finally sewer in 2024. Regarding this trash services transition, while Denver does not currently charge residents a fee for trash services, a measure to change how residents are charged for solid waste services, which includes trash, compost, and recycling, may result in the need to start billing for those services if passed by city council. Department management has not yet finalized whether sewer, sewer billing services will also transition to this new system. And due to this ongoing decision, we approached our evaluation of this issue as a readiness assessment, which is formally called pers prospective auditing. Doing so allows us to provide information to the auditee that's based on potential events and future actions. The objective for this audit was to verify Denver Water's charges for water consumption and sewer billing services are accurate and whether it properly bills, collects, and sends sewer charges to the city. We also reviewed whether the city has adequately evaluated its decision to move sewer billing in-house and away from Denver Water. For the audit scope, we examined the relationship between the city and Denver Water discounted governmental water rates set by Denver Water for the years 2020 through 2022. We also reviewed water bills received in 2021 by General Services, as well as service fees related to the contract with General Water, or Denver Water, excuse me, for sewer billing services for the year 2022. Um, I'll now take some time to pause for questions and comments, um, and then I'll pass it to Pat, who will cover finding one. Any questions? Any opening comments for Jack? Yeah, I have a question in terms of um, <clears throat> how things are built to the city. Um, individual consumers have to pay water rates that are graduated up, which encourages people 
to conserve water, which is becoming a, a greater and greater uh, problem in, in the entire western United States and can really have a major impact on just everything. Um, I'm just kind of curious, when the city gets built, you know, because, you know, you see their sprinklers running <laughs> a lot more than you do, for example, example, consumers. I'm just wondering, from, from a policy and a charter point of view, you know, you have, you have regulations you have to abide by, but at the same time, what's causing the city to behave in a manner that I think you guys have just been really doing a great job in pushing over the 30, 40, the 40 years that I've lived in Denver and where you're going. Is that an unfair question? I, I just think it, it might be a bit out of the scope, but let yeah. me, let me just I know answer it, is, it but a, a little kinda, bit. Yeah. You know, and I know, um, you know the work that's been done to, to set rates to encourage water conservation. So having the inclining block rate structure, which really has um, made huge advances in, um, in people using, getting the message that we need to use less water. Um, as far as the rate structure at the city, um, you know, I, that's not really the mechanism that we use to, to decrease water use. And we do have a close relationship with Denver Water and we do work with Denver Water, especially in times of drought, to look at how we water our parks, how we water our public spaces. Um, so really, um, you know, we do work in partnership with Denver Water to make sure that as a city, we're being responsible with how we use water. But the rate mechanism is, isn't set the same way it is for um, the residents. I don't know if anyone else on the team wants to add to that. Sorry that I went outside of scope. Oh. It's like, <laughs> Very timely. It's, it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. It's a society. I it mean, is. We really it's a good question, and it's, we, sh we should have that conversation. We're, we're obviously going to be having more conversations with Denver Water about a number of topics, and I think that's something we should you know, bring up with them, as well as um, you know, our partners in general services. Ed? I think it would be fair to give parks, not today, obviously, but a chance to respond to that, because we can't make an assumption that they're breaking the rules just based on what we see driving down the street, right? Um, they oh, might, no, they no, might be following all the rules and doing everything Denver Water needs them to do. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm just looking at this perspectively as this problem gets larger and larger, and that, that was all. I'm, I wasn't a case of uh, sure. laying blame anywhere. Thank you. But between general services and the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure, they're really processing the bill. I mean, they should want to assure that the bill is accurate. The consumption decision is not made by transportation or general services, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. So when we have parks in the next time, <laughs> you, you might put that question uh, to them. Yeah, and I understand it's a real sticky wicket because yeah. you, have a, you have a city charter you know, you have charter requirements that are were set in a, in a different kind of a manner, and you have to abide by those. Maybe to, to go off just a little bit to put a plug in, um, 
We recently, as a region, and, and this was an effort led by Dottie, signed a One Water Plan, which is a really exciting um, agreement in our region. And this is all the players who deal with our water resource. So the city and county of Denver, Denver Water, Metro Wastewater, Mile High Flood District, um, and others, uh, the Greenway Foundation, all came together to put a plan together to agree to work on this resource as one. So we, we do at Dottie other efforts, but um, not to go too far off topic here. Um, it is an important effort, but this doesn't address it. Okay. Patrick? Yep. All right. Uh, the first finding begins on page seven. As you can see on this slide, it's titled City's Dependence on Denver Water's Price Setting Could Lead the City to Overpaying for Services. Um, this, this finding has three parts. I'm going to cover those real quick. If you turn the page one more to page eight, uh, this is where the first part of finding one begins, which is the city is not checking the annual discounted governmental rate set by Denver Water. Um, for the average customer in Denver, Denver Water sets that rate, and there's little room to question that. Um, not the case with the city. It's, it's not the case with the city because according to the city charter, um, the city receives a discounted rate. Um, the city charter says that the, the city is to pay a rate that approximates the cost but does not exceed um, the cost of water to provide that water. So simply put, the city gets, gets water at cost. Um, additionally, there's items the charter doesn't allow to be included in Denver Water's cost structure um, when it's setting price for the city. So when Denver Water sets price, um, it first has to know its estimated expenses, otherwise it wouldn't know how much revenue to bring in, and then it has that price point where it should set it. When setting price for the city, that process differs a little bit. Um, and that's because the charter mandates that Denver Water take its expenses and remove certain items. Um, it then uses these adjusted expenses to set the price of water for the city. Um, it's so important for the city to uh, verify this rate each and every year to make sure two things. One, that Denver Water is in fact removing the items it should be, and two, to make sure the city is paying a rate um, that approximates the cost of water and isn't marked up a bunch. We reviewed supporting detail that Denver Water used to derive its city's discounted rate for the three most recent years, so 20, 21, 22. Our work showed nothing wrong with those rates. However, that doesn't mean that Denver Water is infallible moving forward. So when you consider the significance of this risk, you know, the magnitude of how much water the city's consuming, it's, it's uh, even small errors can e equate to a big, a lot of money here. Um, put in perspective, in 2021, the city consumed 1.9 billion, billion gallons of water. Um, that's about 6% of the, the water uh, sold by Denver Water within the city and county of Denver. So the, the city's a significant customer, right? Um, this leads to our first recommendation, 1-1, from page 9, which is agreed with, uh, which reads, the Wastewater Management Division should develop and document a process to review the annual discounted city water rate to ensure it aligns with Denver Charter, excludes prohibited costs, um, and then should confirm that the rate charged does not exceed Denver Water's cost of water. Now, in the event that an issue is identified, it's recommended that Wastewater Management inform the three city agencies that receive water bills, so General Services, uh, Parks and Rec, and DIA. I'll stop there. And we agree with this recommendation and are right now um, developing and we will implement a formal uh, review process to, to look at these cost estimates um, for the billing services. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you for the recommendation. I'll just, I'll just add, um, we, we have a really good working relationship with Denver Water, and we're always communicating with them and sharing information, and so we've already you know, started implementing this. It's a, it's a good recommendation, and uh, we'll get it implemented on time. Thanks. Okay. Questions from the committee? 
Even if they're out of scope. Oh. <laughs> okay, right. let's continue. Alrighty. Uh, so page nine, second part of finding one. Um, the second part has to do with the city not checking the water bills billed by Denver Water on the city's monthly water bill. So what we just talked about was hey, you should verify that rate at the beginning of the year. Once that's been checked, now you need to make sure that discounted rate gets carried forward to the monthly water bills. That's what we're talking about now, step two. Um, we're not trying to say that General Services is blindly approving these you know, invoices every month. That's not the case. Um, they are verifying other things. We're just saying or recommending uh, add a layer of verification to just make sure that that discounted rate is, is accurate. Um, we reviewed all monthly water bills received by General Services for all of 2021. Um, Ryan did that work. He found three properties that were billed incorrectly. Um, we're talking about 11 grand here. Um, we brought it to General Services' attention, Denver Water's attention. They, they immediately rectified that, credited the city back. Um, so it's just point being made is errors, errors can happen. It should be checked. Um, our second recommendation on page 10, which General Services agrees with, um, and it's directed at General Services and not wastewater like all the other recs in this report are because they're a city agency receiving water bills. Um, the REC is agreed with, like I said, it, it reads general services should develop and document a process to review the rates um, on all water bills for city properties to ensure Denver Water has charged the correct discounted city rate. Cami, your department agrees. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'll ask Tom Octara to weigh in here. Sure. Thank you Tom? for the recommendation. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, good morning, committee. Um, we agree with this finding. We really appreciate the work that Patrick, Carl, and Ryan did uh, to point this out. Um, we're moving forward with uh, three specific steps to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. One, we're gonna start to check that rate. It comes in on a spreadsheet, so it's a fairly easy check for us. And then we've identified if there is a challenge, exactly who and how we're gonna work with Denver Water to make those corrections. And a, a third step is we're, we're gonna uh, add this review into our training document to really embed it into our work going forward, no matter who's doing that work. Thank you. Any questions from the committee? All right. Last, uh, last subpart to finding one. Um, page 10, city's not checking the monthly service fee that Denver Water charges uh, for sewer billing that it performs on the city's behalf. So like Carl talked about in the background a few minutes ago, for the city to know how much to charge a customer for sewer has to know how much water came out of that, that property um, and entered the sewer. So this is one major reason for this marriage between the city and Denver Water is uh, the city relies on Denver Water's meters. Without that meter, they don't know what to charge a customer for sewer service. Uh, for many years now, the city has contracted with Denver Water to bill, collect, and remit those fees to the city on their behalf. Uh, to compensate Denver Water for this, the city has contracted to pay them a monthly service fee. Um, as part of this contract uh, between the two, there's a section that lays out how Denver Water is to calculate that fee, how you, know, how you allocate what expenses are allowable, how you allocate it to the city, proportion it out. Um, each year, Denver Water comes up with this cost estimate, gives it to the city to review prior to it taking effect January every year. So the issue here is the city's not adequately reviewing this annual cost estimate. Um, are they looking at it? Yes. Are they looking at it in a way that, you know, the city would identify if there's unallowable costs in there, it's not proportioned correctly? No. So that's, that's the issue here. We did dig into the most recent cost estimate, the one that took effect January 2022. We didn't find any issues with that. But like we said before, doesn't mean things can't go, go wrong in the future. Um, to make sure that the city doesn't get overcharged in the future, we have Rec 1.3. That's pulled from uh, page 12, which Wastewater Management Division agrees with. And the rec reads, wastewater should develop and document a process to review the annual cost estimate for billing services 
um, for accuracy before the city agrees to that annual fee. This review should include at a minimum an evaluation of the direct costs allocated to the city and the number of accounts Denver Water has for the city to ensure that those costs are proportioned accurately. Any comments from the department? Thank you for that recommendation. And, and we do agree with that one as well and are also putting in place processes to address it. Other questions? Shall we continue? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, finding two begins on page 13 of the report. The analysis to potentially discontinue sewer billing services through Denver Water is flawed. Uh, there are two main components of finding two. The net present value analysis tool that management is currently using to evaluate this decision is not aligned with leading governmental practice and it is incomplete. The decision whether to perform billing for sewer services in-house is complex and involves many variables and millions of dollars in spending and so requires careful consideration. Even if this transition is completed, the city would still always rely on Denver Water for meter reading data required to perform customer billing. Table 1 on page 15 of the report details eight considerations for evaluating service delivery alternatives as developed by the Government Finance Officers Association. Each consideration is accompanied by a brief description, but we will focus on those that we found lacking in the analysis prepared by wastewater. Executive direction in the form of clear expectations and standards should be established. We saw no clear evidence of this, especially given that most communications we reviewed were dated from 2018 and prior. Flexibility of the arrangement. This means that services may be more or less flexible to change depending on who provides the service. In this case, the permanent reliance on Denver water for meter reads limits the flexibility of the arrangement. Reversibility of the arrangement should also be considered as the decision would be very difficult and costly to undo. The extent of communication to customers must also be considered as this will affect how customers pay their utility bills. Lastly, impacts on cost and service quality must be considered. Table 2 on page 17 classifies these into two categories, quantitative or measurable factors and qualitative non-measurable factors. Quantitative factors that were identified but not present in the decision analysis were items such as system integration costs and billing error costs. Qualitative factors that were identified but absent from consideration were items like data ownership and billing flexibility. Table 3 on page 18 refers to a, a study which shows that the net present value analysis used by wastewater for this decision is used overwhelmingly in the corporate sector but very rarely in the government sector. The study further questioned why the net present value tool was so rarely utilized by governments. Table 4 on page 19 shows the study's three main reasons that government respondents did not use this tool. The first is the inability to incorporate qualitative factors. The second is difficulty in projecting future cash flows. And the third being political factors. We noted all of these shortcomings were present in the analysis as it currently stands. Although the net present value analysis alone is not a sufficient tool, it does have value in assessing the cost elements of the decision. To that end, we evaluated whether the prepared analysis was effective for consideration of purely monetary factors. 
There are three components of an effective net present value analysis. The first is that all incremental cash flows are considered. That means only costs that are affected by the decision are taken into account. Costs that would occur no matter what decision is made are irrelevant. The timing of cash flows must also be considered because the time value of money increases as time goes on. For example, inflation has a greater impact over five years than over one year. Lastly, the riskiness of cash flows must be considered due to the uncertainty of estimates. Figures 7 and 8 on pages 20 and 21 respectively illustrate two common methods for incorporating risk into the decision process. To summarize, the decision to bring sewer billing in-house is a significant undertaking that would require great effort and major spending. The decision must be carefully considered as it would be very difficult to undo. The net present value analysis is a useful tool for viewing the pros and cons of the decision from a financial perspective, but cannot be used independently because it fails to account for various qualitative impacts of the decision that would be just as important to consider. In addition to supplementing the net present value analysis with qualitative analysis, the net present value analysis as prepared needs to be revised to adhere to the three principles of an effective analysis. To that end, we have recommendation 2.1 to revise the decision analysis for sewer billing to align with governmental best practice. The agency has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of December 31, 2022. And second, is recommendation 2.2 to improve upon the net present value analysis and the agency has also agreed with this recommendation with an Im implementation of December 31, 2022. I will now pause for comments from the agencies and from audit committee. Thank you. I would like to stress that the decision whether or not to bring sewer billing in-house is ongoing and it has not been made yet. Um, an updated analysis has also not been performed you know, the executive team has currently prioritized compost and solid waste billing, followed by an assessment of the storm system. And a robust analysis and ongoing discussions with Denver Water were put on hold um, during the delay that the pandemic brought while we focused on our core functions. But to make these important decisions around our billing system that have an impact citywide, uh, in 2020, Dottie did put in place a governance structure that includes executive sponsors from DOTI, DOF, TS, and the mayor's office. Working groups were also formed that include city partners with specific work tasks, such as technology, communication, and operations. And these working groups will perform analysis and develop recommendations for the executive team to then meet, confer, and provide a unified direction. DOTI also brought on onto the team the professional services of Jacob Engineering, to consult our team and the best practices in our industry for billing structures and systems. In addition to the counseling the city, counseling the city on these best practices, Jacob also brings specific knowledge of our billing system through one of their consultants who is a former tenured CIO at Denver Water. So we appreciate the points made in section 2.1 of the audit and will incorporate these considerations into our decision-making framework. We are confident by including these considerations into our framework, um, we'll be able to perform a robust analysis needed to make the best decision for the future of the billing system, sewer billing system for the city. Um, and, and with that, I, I do want to um, have Peter talk to us about the net present value analysis. 
Yeah, sure. The, the NPV analysis was um, something that we put together, uh, I think, in 2019 or so, and it was it was really kind of a high level, just sort of rough back of the napkin. You know, we were having some initial discussions about um, what what services would be included in this billing system, and at, at that time we were focused mostly on just wastewater, so it'd be storm and sanitary. Um, so the the work um, that came on, came later with composting and um, solid waste. Um, you know, as, as Margaret said, that got prioritized, and essentially we just kind of shelved that NPV analysis. We just put it on hold because we knew we had to have further discussions with Denver Water, and we weren't ready to have them yet. So, the analysis that that your team looked at, and, and you know, they had really good recommendations. We knew we always needed to circle back on that and do do a more robust analysis. It just essentially we had to put it on on hold. So, Lorraine, thank you for your comments. Um, and if I understand correctly, what you said is that the, the decision about sewer services and billing has been, is, is still yet to be made. That well, is what correct. about stormwater? Was that, is that yet to be made too, or is that? We have not forward? begun that implementation, but we have made the decision okay. to bring that into our um, in-house billing. Okay, so it's tra composting trash and stormwater that will be for sure combined. Right. That's right, into okay. one unified bill. Okay. Thank you. Denver Water doesn't uh, bill for storm currently, right? They do not. That is currently um, a system that we have that is outdated and needs to be modernized. So we're taking advantage of that opportunity to have uh, one unified system rather than multiple. I think that's great. And I, you clearly can see the improvements you're making over the last few years with being able to pay things online. It's a lot easier. I think this is really great work, uh, folks on this last issue especially, and I'm glad you're still evaluating it. From what I read in here, one of the potential improvements is that customers would get one bill, but they won't because they'll always be getting two because there'll always be a water bill, right? That's correct. Um, and I don't think the customer cares whether or not their sewer bill is over here or over here. If I was getting one, that might really help, but if I'm always getting two, um, that, that really isn't a benefit. It's really about the cost savings to the city and can you do it uh, better. So. Um, and more efficiently. So I'm glad you're still looking at it. So. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? That concludes the report. Yes. Thank you. Any closing remarks from the department? Thank you. We just want to thank the, you, the auditor, the audit committee, and the audit team. Um, we think that this was a really successful audit, and we appreciate um, you work closely with our teams to help us better our processes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Okay, general business. We have a meeting, an executive session with our external auditor concerning the annual comprehensive financial report next Friday. Um, and we have another meeting in July, July 21st, here in the Power Widener Room at 9 a.m. There's nothing else to come before the committee. We are adjourned. Thank you.
a festival at this time. Nevertheless, citizens of both cities, from the young to the experienced, have worked together to cherish the history of our exchange and to pass it down to the following generations. This hard work symbolizes the arrival of a new Takayama Denver sister city relationship. Here I firmly believe that a peaceful and enriched international society is supported by steady and warm-hearted interactions between individuals beyond races and nationalities that takes place in civic society. The significance of sister city relationships lies in the powerful and long-lasting execution of such civic interactions. Takayama City has advocated eternal world peace in accordance with its declaration as a city of peace. This is exactly what we wish for in our exchange with Denver, the oldest friend of ours. 60周年という節目を迎えた私たちがさらに交流を深め、より強い絆で結ばれることを心から希望します。それはコロナウイルスをはじめ環境汚染や格差の拡大など今日人類が直面する様々な共通課題に対して、これまでにも増して力を合わせ
hand in hand to the next step, exploring a new way of being of the world. この記念の日を契機といたしまして高山市とデンバー市との姉妹都市交流がさらに実り豊かな関係へと前進することを確信しすべての高山市民の思いを代表して私のご挨拶とさせていただきますありがとうございました。On this anniversary, I'm strongly assured that our sister city exchange between Takayama and Denver will further advance to even more fruitful relationship. I would now like to conclude these words of hopes, which were expressed on behalf of all the citizens of Takayama. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor Kunishima. It now gives me great pleasure to introduce our Deputy Mayor, Don Mares.